Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down to chat about the economy. We discuss U.S. data, we discuss Canadian data, we also discuss why we look at U.S. data and compare it to Canadian data, we talk about the real estate market, we give some updates on our team, on what we're seeing just in rents and offers on properties, and then we discuss how this can possibly continue and how does it evolve, where do prices go, do they go flat, do they go down, do they go up, we dive into that. At the end, really briefly, we talk about our our own thinking on acquiring your own home, when and why you should do it, and skills in the marketplace, and and you know what, how to look at the real value of the economy. And of course, we dive into Bitcoin. And not only do we dive into Bitcoin, we explain why we are talking about Bitcoin as much as we do. Nick asks some questions about it. I answer some of that kind of stuff. We have some fun with it. So I think you're going to enjoy this particular episode. And listen, if you are thinking about getting into the real estate market here in the Greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area. You can go to our website and pick up a bunch of information. The key things that we're always looking at, you should know, are cost of money, so interest rates, population, supply, and then credit. Credit is, is a really big thing, and, and credit kind of on, on different levels. You need income to qualify for that credit, but not, and, and that's sometimes discussed as a limiting factor in the growth of the real estate market going forward, and we talk about that on this particular podcast, but also you need the banks to have the willingness to lend. And if there's ever a credit event where banks all of a sudden shut down or become very difficult to borrow from, that really would be devastating to the real estate market. And it's why we, are, we play, pay such close attention to the banking sector. This is something we need to all pay attention to if you're in the real estate market. So we discuss all those different things in different forms. You can get information from us on our website at rockstarinnercircle.com. You can get our app at ylytapp.com. That's ylytapp.com. You can register for a free introductory training class where we share the strategies that we're using and some of our thoughts on all these things. You can register for that at rockstarinnercircle.com. We have free books that we offer, free reports that we offer, all available on rockstarinnercircle.com, which we're in the middle of revamping, by the way. So there'll be a new look to that website very shortly. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are back live because we tried this a second ago and Nick wasn't recording. So every time I ask you if you can hear me and you laugh, this time it actually was it's necessary. Well, it's well worth it. Yeah, well, we would have recorded half an hour and you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been heard. That's like how I was growing up. Uh, every time I spoke to no. you, you just ignored me anyway. No, I'm five years older. When we were growing <laughs> up, we didn't even associate with each other. So I didn't have to put up with you other than when I wanted something and made you play a game to go run and go get it or something. Yeah, you must have shared, we must have shared that before, no? <laughs> I don't know. That was the best for years. If, if Tom was like, I, I guess I was always- We're here to talk about the economy and no, not how I tormented you. This is very important. So for, for years, every time, I w guess I was always competitive with myself. Because it, because I was always wanted to. See. It worked to my advantage. Yeah, and now I know I like. I mean, maybe it's because of you. I like this CrossFit stuff so much because I'm like have nightmares of of clocks and how fast I can do things. But um, uh, yeah. So anytime Tom needed something, he'd be like, "Hey, go get me this." I'm like, no, no, I don't want to. Like, I'll time you. Like, okay. So I would. For the record, I was probably twelve and you were seven. It oh, wasn't yeah. any time. There was probably a six month window where we did this. Tom. But I would sprint upstairs like as fast as I can. 
and I'd come back and be like, how fast was I? And I guess my, I think my, I think my kids do it to me now, but I actually count. And then he would, you know, just, he would tell me a number. I'm like, oh, okay. And then it wasn't until like years later, maybe a decade later, he's like, yeah, I never counted a single time. I just made, I just made the numbers up and you crushed my soul when you told me that. It hurt. I don't now, know if I said I never counted. Oh, I'm sure I, I counted once or twice. <laughs> I for my kids, benchmark. for my kids now, when my kids ask me to do that, I go out of my way to count. So I'm giving them an accurate number now. Um, listen, I'm trying to adjust the audio settings so you're all set here. You've tormented my life. No, <laughs> you said that pretty convincingly. Oh shit! I tricked you into starting this rock star thing with me. That's the see the torment continues. Oh boy! Oh, I tormented you into studying the economy and seeing how we're all getting screwed. That's what I tormented you into. You could have lived a peaceful life of just making some money and going about your day, but I said, "Nick, we're getting screwed. Look at what's happening in the world." So listen, we're uh, you know before we get into some of the economic stuff, everyone's asking. Um, so uh, can you share? I guess what we're seeing with the team. I know you just hung up with JP there. Are we still seeing multiple offers and price action and, you know, just the basics? I think that's the number one thing on everyone's mind if you're not in the market. Are we still seeing multiple offers in the business that we are doing? The answer is yes, except you don't know this yet. I didn't tell you. I talked to someone on our team today and they said that they got, uh, they recently purchased a house with an investor and they paid below asking because they were the only offer. And I don't think it was a lot below asking, you know, but, but, the, and, and he's like, yeah, imagine that. Yeah, Cause that's like the first time we've heard that. And I, I don't know how many and, months, well, at least a year, yeah. at least a year. Yeah. It's been, it's been a long time. So, but, uh, but yeah, as you know, if we're kind of paint, painting with broad strokes here, then yeah, absolutely. There's, but, the, but it's not, there's not the 15, 25, 35 offers anymore, but there are, it, it's like a normal multiple offer situation, um, if that makes any sense. But it's usually like a handful of offers and still very strong demand. And, you know, the house has to be priced right and it has to be a good property. So there is uh, de definitely, definitely still strong demand. But it hasn't been the demand that's changed so much. It's more the supply. The supply over the last um, probably about five, six, four, four, four to six weeks has really changed. And there's been a lot more listings and a lot more inventory coming in the market. And that's allowed buyers to then kind of pick and choose a little bit. And that's changed the dynamics a little bit. That's, that's what's changed it more than anything else. And something I, I a few members in our team were saying earlier was that it's not the 30 offers like you're saying anymore. It's, but it is like the two to three. And they, but they did say this, that if an a real estate agent on the in the market, this makes no sense whatsoever, but if they price the house accurately for what they think it's going to sell for, it doesn't attract offers right now. And what's happening is that if you, you must almost list the house a hundred thousand dollars less at what you, than what you think I'm generalizing here than what you think you'll get for it. Because then that's when everyone's coming in with the offers and, you know, bidding higher than ask. And that if you literally list it at fair, what would be like a fair market value book, uh, value comparable price, you're not attracting offers. No, yeah. It's Do you like, know if that one that you just mentioned today that went slightly under was it? Which way was I, it listed? I didn't ask. Okay. I didn't, I, you know, oh. it's funny when I was talking to him because it was about something and another thing that came up around it. But um, I, I was thinking about it as I was speaking to him, but I didn't ask. But I'd be curious to know. Okay, so the thing that I, we wanted to share about the economy is that we're, we're in this weird state where Nick and I looked at some data a few months ago, just out of curiosity. We've shared it a few times on this podcast, but I wanted to explain it a little bit more deeply, is that the U.S. economy has grown its debt three times since we started following this stuff, and their tax receipts, so the tax revenues, have, has only grown 50%. And during that time, Canada has, you know, 
equally run deficits, not the same absolute dollar terms, but we've run our deficits. We've kept interest rates low. We need our Canadian dollar to be less than the American dollar. It's the reason we do all these things. We're an export-based economy, so we have to play these games. And in that 10-year period that Canada has kind of similarly matched what the U.S. has done, our property prices, Nick, on average in the greater Toronto area, I know some have tripled, but I'd say a lot of properties have doubled, like easily doubled. In the last 10 years? In the last 10 years. Yeah, I'm trying to think of if I can think of an example of properties in an area that haven't. And I don't mean in some remote area. I Because the smaller communities, they've almost, well, since 2007, they've almost tripled. Mm -hmm. But then in, in, in higher priced areas like a Mississauga home, a Brampton home, uh, Oakville home, Burlington, yeah, they're like, like I, doubled. The, what I don't know is like, I wonder if a $2.5 million house in Oakville, let's say 10 years ago, is it 5 million today? It probably is. You know, probably, probably yeah. is. Yeah. I was thinking more of the Oakville home that was like about 1, 1.1 1. 1 is now 2, 2.2, 2. 2.3. That, that has happened in, in Oakville. I think, so I think almost any place around here is a double year because 10 years ago, yeah, those ones okay. have doubled for sure. So here, so yeah. the reason I'm sharing that is because if they've, so the U.S. tripled their debt over the last 10 years, the Canada kind of did similar funky business in the economy that resulted in homes in the Toronto area. I know someone's going to rake me over the coals for saying it in such broad terms, but they've either doubled or tripled because we've seen Hamilton properties triple in that, in that time frame. We've seen Brantford properties triple in that time frame, And, you know, so the further outskirts, Durham area, Peterborough area, that kind of thing. So now if we extrapolate forward and think they're going to triple the debt again, we go from 27 trillion in the US to 81 trillion. Does that mean um, we are going to then double home prices again from here and triple? As nonsensical, is nonsensical a word? Nonsensical? As nonsensical um, as that sounds, that's the weird reality that we're in that where some people are saying, hey, Tom and Nick, you guys should not talk about property prices increasing. That's very dangerous business, but we don't think this is right, what's happening. But we gotta, we have to at least plan for it. And 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 my thinking goes further. What happens if we're lowballing? If tripling the debt the last ten years was required to keep the system functioning, what happen? What happens if tripling the debt the next ten years is not enough? Mm-hmm. But the, but so yeah, I agree with you there. But if you bring to to go back to the effect on real estate here, under the current circumstances, with the way things are structured, they they won't. And what I mean by that is, if incomes remain where they are interest rates remain where they are and lending rules remain where they are. They won't because the affordability won't be there. Now, if, if lending rates go down um, or amortizations get extended or there's other programs that are released to help people, like remember when they came out with that funky program where CMHC was going to own part of your house if they did it, I forget the percentages and stuff like that. But um, it, with those types of things, then, then there's those possibilities. But if with all other things being equal, it can't happen, right? Because there's just, there's just no, the funding won't work. No, so, I agree. I agree with you 100%. But, but I'm just but assuming I think they're going to make the they're change. They're going to make changes. Well, if you look back 10 years and you look, you know, because if we use the last 10 years as some sort of guidance, I'm not saying it's going to be the exact same, but if you look at the the, the changes they made and where the trends were, well, then the likelihood that, that if the, the debt's going to continue to try to accommodate that environment, they're going to have to make similar changes to what they've done over the past 10 years in the next 10 years. And then, yeah, the likelihood exists. Or maybe not the likelihood even, we don't have to speak like that, but the possibility we should at least entertain it. Because if I think we do ourselves an injustice if we don't at least 
entertain it in uh, at all and just totally dismiss it. Just like we, if we dismiss the, the other side, like, hey, they're going to come crashing down. We can't dismiss that side either. But because the, the argument for, for them crashing down would be that um, there's a banking crisis of some sort and there's no more lending and, yeah. and property prices would come crashing down. Well, the, simpli- the simplistic argument is their prices are too high and they're going to come down. Your your argument about the bank the banking crisis is to me is a much more sophisticated argument than the, the typical one that people usually hear because there's a reason behind it. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of people are just like, well, they're high, so they got to come back down. Well, I, I don't know how do they come back down. Like, how do if lumber prices don't come back down and and labor prices don't start changing and steel prices yeah have don't you start shared changing. the two by four price example or not? So well, I don't know the exact numbers, but I know when because we're started renovation now and um, with when we were buying, I was talking to the contractor and he said, yeah, a year ago, just over a year ago now because it was pre COVID, he said one of these two by four studs was going to be about the two fifty to two seventy five dollar range, and he goes now it's about nine fifty. That's that's I, I, and I don't know that if that's current day or as of a few weeks ago or what what it is, right? But he goes, yeah, it's basically tripled. And the price right? locking, you know, five months. Oh yeah, that was really interesting. Was it five months or three months that he would get the? the oh, maybe 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 it was three. I forget. But yeah. when when they got quoted for a project, they would get quoted from for for the project, and the the lumber quote would be good for. Um, I thought it was months, let's say three months, even if it was two or one month, whatever. And then when I asked him now, I'm like, well, so what changed? He goes, now? Five days. I had talked I talked to another contractor a couple of days after that, and he said uh, one of his suppliers, it was down to three days. That's that's how quickly they were quoting these. these. Uh, but there's no inflation. No, well, no, there is. It's just 1.2%. 1.9, 2.1, 1. 1. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah. You're right. There's no inflation. There's only no inflation in the things that we, the Bank of Canada, monitor. And everything else in the world, if you need a two by four, two dollars hey to nine dollars. Flat screen TVs, they're down. Yeah. So if you need another one of those, if you need another TV, there's no inflation. Yeah. You need a roof over your head. There's freaking. You need a roof over your head or a steak for the barbecue. There's freaking inflation. Yeah. But if you want to build a, a, a house out of TVs, TVs, then your costs are going no, down. Could work. You're yeah. good. It wouldn't be waterproof unless you can get really tight. Seals you get bigger and bigger. TV. Is it what your, your TV costs can remain the same? <laughs> the TVs get bigger and bigger. That's true. So your house keeps getting bigger. Yeah. Maybe you only need two DVs for the roof because you get like jumbotrons. Yeah. So, but anyways, that's, uh, it is where it's, it is where it's going. Oh my God. Someone's got to ask the Bank of Canada. You're right. We are going to build houses out of TVs now. Thank you because there's no inflation. Um, okay. So there's, by the way, did you, did you also see that, uh, we, who has admitted it's like the liberal housing person that's, uh, has the residing at a Vaughn. Oh, Adam Hunter. Vaughn. Yeah, is it? Oh, sorry, his last name's Vaughn. He's Adam not Vaughn, out of Vaughn, yeah. Ontario. Yeah. Okay, he's out of, he's out of, I think he's a. I think he's a Toronto MP. Okay, okay, sorry. I thought he was from Vaughn. That's yeah. why I was saying Adam Vaughn. Okay, and and I'm obviously I don't know the details. You can tell by me sharing the story, but I think he was basically saying in some interview, TVO interview, that um, it we have it we have made an environment where housing has become attractive for foreigners, but not local citizens and residents, and we're like. It, I think I'm paraphrasing greatly here, so don't take my word from that. Have you heard that he said that? I, I've read some parts some of it. Like I didn't that. look into the story okay, very we gotta much. we got to look into it so we know more deeper. But if that's actually the truth, I mean, how, yes, thank you for admitting something we've all known for a decade. Yeah, because the parts I saw were then he said, you know, it would be, yes, we've created this kind of environment, but we can't let house price we can't let the prices come down that would be a terrible thing and everyone's like how can you not let them come down like that would help the average <laughs> person help. But, you know but uh and he also know. said people got lucky he goes you know for those people who bought downtown toronto those condos you know they obviously uh, let me take that back again i don't think he said the word obviously but he said you know they got lucky i'm like wait a second 
Not everybody got lucky. Some of us out here have been calling of your stupidity in the government for over a decade. New interest rates were not going to go up. New hard assets were the place to hide and thrive. Well, even if you didn't know, you just... You, you took the risk. You had to yeah. get the town you payment. Made, you had you to qualify. The, yeah, you made the moves and you put to, in the work to, to do it. To dismiss everybody who now owns real estate as getting lucky, to me, is setting it all up for we're going to tax you. Yay, you got lucky. You got lucky. We're going to have to tax those gains. Well, we'll know soon. What is it? It's the 19th. So from when we're recording this, just under a week, right? For the, bu- go, for the, the budget. The budget, yeah. Um, but, but, but because the election's coming up, they're thinking this budget isn't going to be as aggressive on taxes as yeah. initially feared. Yeah, because they'll, they they'll do the capital the, gains taxes after, after they're in the, power. Yeah, they're going to try to get them in again, right? So. I know. Politicians. <laughs> um, but I think if you're listening to us, just, just know that we always assume kind of worst case scenario with politicians. Like Nick and I always, Nick, I don't mean to speak for you, but we always kind of assume worst case scenario and have to plan our lives around the worst case scenario. It's the way we think with properties, taxes, government, uh, Bitcoin, like every everything that we're talking about, we always assume, okay, they're going to do this, this, and this, and we're going to just navigate around their stupidity. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Greenbelt's a great example, right? Because the Greenbelt is a government-imposed building restriction on the north part of the kind of golden horseshoe so you you know what what people talk speak about or, or will refer to sometimes as the manhattanization of toronto means that the the lakes at the bottom and then you have the green belt around the city which is causing a limited amount of building space which causes um pri- property prices to go up right it's simple stuff and but and people will ask well then what if the government opens it up? Because they can change those rules anytime. And, and, you know, I have certain opinions on that. And they've spoken about changing those rules and, and the environmentalists freak out and then they kind of back off. And recently, even about this, uh, the highway that they were looking at putting north of the city, there's been so much pushback now. They're questioning it because they can't go into an election uh, kind of trying to promote it. The other the opposition parties are saying, we would, we promised to kill it, right? So there's all this stuff happening. And, and yeah, I realize the government can change things at any time, but it's... I think you you kind of account for that in your equation and you put a probability, it's kind of what Greg Foss talks about, right? You put a probability to it and then you kind of figure it out from there, right? So you put a probability to it, how you feel, and then you, you decide to move forward anyways. But but there's always risks in anything. So that's one of the risks for sure. I mean, there's also a risk that the government stops spending and balances their budget and they start trying to pay down debt and, you know, every cause a deflationary environment. But I don't know. What do you think the probability of that is? <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah. <laughs> Listen, let me go there. Okay, so the budget, um, I want to share that the last meaningful information on Canada's finances was shared in a fall economic statement that you can Google on the Government of Canada's website. If you just Google up supporting Canadians and fighting COVID-19, fall economic statement 2020, you will find this document. And in this document, all the way on page 142, which, which Nick, it's astonishing that it's on page 142 of this PDF. It finally in box D refers to our federal debt. Like in the U.S., as messed up as they are in finances, at least you can go to the Congressional Budget Office website and quickly see the debt and deficits annually and their projections. In Canada, we have to find like a document that's months old and go to page 142. But in page 142, it clearly says the federal debt is expected to be $1.4 trillion by 2024. $1.4 trillion. But here's like the astonishing stuff. It's a, it, in this information, you kind of deduce, and it's from a CBC article that's commenting on this thing. It's uh, this, there's this quote, factoring in the, that extra spending, it is reasonable to project that our federal debt could climb to 1.7. So forget 1.4, 1.7. By then the federal government will have effectively added $1 trillion to Canada's debt since 2019. 
So wait a second here. Like our whole debt is 1.4 to 1.7. Everyone's going to argue over what it's going to be a few years from now. But out of that 1.4 to 1.7, we've added a trillion since 2019. <laughs> what is, like, is that if, so if we are on this path, how much new debt is coming our way and what's, what our property price is going to be in that type of world? This is where I think they're going to have to change the rules. They're going to have to change the income qualification rules. Because if we don't keep adding on debt at this pace, the economy is going to shrink. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, it's I'm looking be, at you for answers, Nick. I'm no, looking at you for answers. Well, it's funny is because I'll always try to play a little bit of devil's advocate, right? Because I, I, I agree. And then I pause in my head because I, I try to think of the other side. And in this particular thing, taking in, and I guess there's some recency bias because it's what we've seen over the, you know, the last 10 years, right? Consistently every year. And I can't figure out a way they're going to get out of it, right? I can't figure it out. You know, do you, do you, I don't know what year it was, I forget, but it was when we saw Eric Sprott, or I, I was at that conference, I bumped into Eric Sprott outside of some hotel downtown. It was so funny. I think he was smoking a, was it a cigar, or a cigarette, whatever he was smoking. I was standing outside, and I went and started asking him a couple of questions, and he, um, for anyone not familiar with Eric Sprott, he was like a, one of Canada's billionaires, yeah. big gold guy, right? Still has a bunch of uh, gold and silver physical metal funds and uh, Sprott Asset Management, and uh he, what, when we were talking, what I realized is he was reading some of the same stuff we were reading, which I kind of thought he might be reading different stuff. So, and then he looked at me and he's like, I can't see, I can't figure out how they're going to get out of this. Can you? And he looked at me he's and asked, a billionaire like, asking, yeah. and wasn't like, he having a butt on the Bay Street? I think he from was. Yeah. Yeah. So a billionaire having a butt on yeah. the side of the street asking Nick Carazza, Hey, what are you? Thinking? Yeah. Cause he's like, from what I'm seeing, like, can you, you know, and, and I'm like, no, like that's kind of what I'm asked. That's where the conversation went. Cause I think we, when we started speaking about stuff, he understood where I was coming from just because you should have invited him to one of our economic updates. Can you imagine? Oh my gosh. Eric, yeah. Hey, listen, you know yeah. what? We, we got to beat on this here. stuff. Come yeah. come and come to our next event. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it's kind of like, that's how I feel. Like I, just, I it's the same thing. I'm like, I can't see how they can get out of this. Like, can, can you, and I haven't met someone that says, <laughs> oh yeah, here's how, here's how they're going to do it. Everyone's like. No. Well, the MMT guys have the answer because the de what's the name of the book from Shelly? What's her name? Shelly Keaton or whatever? Oh, the Deficit yeah. Myth. Yeah, because she has the answer. That's the way out. We're yeah. just going to go more and more and more. And there's a myth to deficits. And then if deficits get too high, inflation takes off, you just tax everybody. So you print money, which is like a tax via inflation. And then if the inflation takes off too much, you actually impose real taxes. So you just tax, you just double tax everybody. And that's the solution. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But I mean, if the last twelve months, uh, yeah, just just look at prices. What's happening in the in the last little while? Like, just totally. look at that alone. Like, we're seeing it in we're real time. We're seeing it. We're it's seeing. Not, it's not. And then when I speak, sorry, just on this point about prices, when I've been speaking to the contractors who have been, uh, who have been coming in recently, all the ones I've been dealing with, and speaking to them about this, all of them are saying um, that they don't feel. But it's really not based on anything. It's just based on their experience. They're like, we don't think they're going to go back down. And I don't think they're going to go back down either. But they don't think so because everyone's paying them. That's what they keep saying. They're like, well, everyone's paying this price. It's not like there's no shortage of business. So everyone's paying them. So why would the producers drop the prices again, right? So listen to this in the U.S. Over the last year with all the different programs they have. So if you add up like the stimulus checks, the CARES Act, the proprietor's income, and all other income sources in the U.S., 
Oh, by the way, before I complete that, I just want to give the CBC title to the article I was referencing about the Canadian debt in case anyone wants to Google it. If you Google up this CBC article, you can find the numbers I just referenced in Canada's debt. It's called The Trillion Dollar Question is How Federal Spending Will Position the Economy for Post-Pandemic Success. So I know you might have to pause the podcast to get that, but if you do want to Google it, the article you're looking from the CBC is The Trillion Dollar Question is How Federal spending will position the economy for post-pandemic success. If you Google that up, you'll find the article we're referencing. So if you look in the U.S. at all the spending that I was referring to, the CARES Act and the stimulus checks and everything like that, it adds up to $1 trillion in new income for Americans. So wages fell by $43 billion, but then there was $1 trillion of new income. Spending decreased, it looks like in this chart here, by $535 billion. So net income up $1 trillion to Americans, spending down $500 billion, so half a trillion. So then if you look at uh, what you know Americans are saving about a trillion or, or have put in a, a, a trillion dollars of new money into their bank accounts in one way, shape or form, and spending has been um, 500 billion less, that means there's been $1.5 trillion of pent up demand in the American economy. So if we are ever going to see any meaningful inflation, you gotta think we have some of the ingredients right now. We just need to watch the velocity of money from the St. Louis Federal Reserve to see if that upticks and velocity starts picking up. But with that much money in the economy, in the and the Canadian economy, by the way, is very, very similar. There was that chart, Nick, that we have that showed. Um, I, I have the chart here of the oh, growth, growth in M1. M1 oh, no, I was going to say how much Canadians have in their bank accounts. But no, share that oh, okay. one. Share that one. Well, yeah, the growth in the M1 money supply here in Canada over the last year looks like it was about, I mean, it's not exact here, but it's about 30%. It looks like it's just over 30%. So that's this huge spike. The only other time that we had had this spike, this chart goes back to 75, a, a spike even close to that was, it looks like about 85, 86 is when, when we saw we saw that happen. Uh, outside, just to give everyone kind of the, the norm, it seems to hover between five and 10% up and down. So that so it's like, you know, multiples of what, what the norm is every year. And then listen to this. Last year, April, April or June, the US put in $3 trillion three trillion trillion dollars in the uh, emergency kind of spending for covid stuff then 900 billion dollars in late 2020 then 1.9 trillion was approved what a few weeks ago i feel like a month ago and they already run a trillion dollar deficits every year so if you add up three trillion plus 900 billion plus 1.9 trillion and then annual deficits last year and this year of at least a trillion we're talking like eight trillion new dollars that just got swept into the economy in the last 12 months. And and what uh, you mentioned um, velocity of money before. So here's what's really interesting if we look at the trends that are happening right now because where people can spend money, because even if you look at the, the, the Canadian numbers, there's there's less credit card debt, there's more, the household savings have gone up even though there's been so many people out of work and stuff because of all the government stimulus, right? So I know you're talking US numbers, but if we bring it back to Canada, sure. the same type of spending, because the same thing happened in the US, both places, household incomes went, in the US household incomes actually went up during the first stimulus, right? So um, in Canada, household savings were, were, were high, but then what we saw is people can't spend this money in restaurants and in, in entertainment, a lot of things that they would do for the, in their leisure time. So now, what, what what have we seen? Well, the places where they have been able to spend their money, so the the leisure stuff that they have been able to do. So if it's outdoor equipment, patio furniture, renovations, that type of stuff. What has happened? Bi bikes. Look up last summer. Could you even buy a bike? They were sold out of bikes. When, by the middle of June, there was no bikes left, right? So 
So you can't buy this stuff anymore and it's causing this inflation to happen. What happens when this, these, these increased savings from people, all this shutdown happens, all that is released back into the economy. What's going to happen to demand and prices in a lot of other areas for those leisure things that people haven't been able to do? The likelihood of those prices, because demand of certain supply, of those prices jumping, is pretty solid, you would think, based on what we've seen in the last year. Right? So so we're kind of so the velocity of money is low right now. Does that is that the shift we finally see? Because it's been dropping, that number of velocity of money has been dropping and dropping and dropping. And maybe have they thrown enough money into the economy finally that in, in a way that has it pent up that that's actually going to turn and then is it sustain, sustainable or not because if it turns and it's sustainable and more stuff things are going to the system because people are like prices are rising i should get it now and that that starts happening that's when inflation starts really kicking in and and that like you said that is the trend to watch 100 percent because that will change things and it can change things quick Something else that we're, we're watching is this U.S. 10-year Treasury rate. The U.S. 10-year Treasury rate ticked up over the last few months, and that changed a lot of things because when there is a weak... Why, explain to people why you watch that because a lot of people yeah, aren't so familiar the, with the Treasury is, rate. The U.S. 10-year Treasury rate is basically one of the key indicators that shows the cost for borrowing money. So if that, market, if that bond market is very, or that Treasury market is very healthy... This is where we need Greg Foss back to just break all this out for us. And then he'll just yell at, he'll yeah, just yell at us about buying more Bitcoin. Look how bad it is. <laughs> just yeah. buy the Bitcoin when you look at the chart. Buy the Bitcoin, stop Greg, if you're listening to this. Yeah, stop thinking it's a rounding error. You buy the Bitcoin. That's what you do. <laughs> um, and we're laughing out of honor and respect. By the way, yeah. Greg's article that he wrote and shared on the Rockstar Inner Circle website. So if you're listening to this and you want his four-part article, we condensed it into a PDF. Rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash Foss, F-O-S-S. Bitcoin Magazine just did a, a spotlight on that article yeah, and he condensed cool. it for them. Yeah, bitcoinmagazine.com. So super cool. So uh, Greg, congratulations. Awesome stuff. So the 10-year treasury rates are really key. Uh, market and if that auction of of that debt is weak meaning if there's not enough buyers then the rates tick up because interest rates have to rise to attract more money and when that ticks up it, it's such a key indicator to so many things which it has over the last little while is that it also reflected in the canadian bond market that's why fixed rates went up here have been ticking up a little bit so that's what, even though we say interest rates can't go up, we don't mean these 0 0.1, 0 0.4, 0.5% moves. We mean they can't go up in any meaningful way, 3%, 5%, 7%, that kind of stuff. But this kind of stuff is possible. And uh, when the U.S. did that, it you know affects mortgage rates, but it also affected gold. Because whenever, Lynn Alden does such a good job in her analysis yeah. of this, when, when, when the U.S. 10-year Treasury rate kind of ticks up like that, gold comes down. It's so correlated to it. So when rates go up, gold comes down. So if that rate comes down, maybe gold will go, go up again. But this is just a, like an astonishing thing that I think so many people are trying to figure out is why is gold not behaving like, like Bitcoin has behaving? Everybody thought what Bitcoin is doing in the world, we all kind of thought, hey, that's going to be gold's role. But gold is really looks like it's kind of losing its race and being that role. And Bitcoin has taken over. But if you're looking at the U.S. 10-year Treasury rate and you hear about it ticking up, it means it's a weak auction. Not a lot of people want, not as many people as they hoped, want the debt. Rates go up. That affects more fixed rate mortgages. And it also affects the price of gold. So that's something kind of we've been watching over, over the last little while. Nick, I was going to go on to the next point here. Did you were you going to share something? No, no, go ahead. Okay, so ben, I don't know how to pronounce Ben's last name, but on Twitter, Ben does a really good job. Ben Rabideau. 
Am I saying it properly? I think so, but I don't know either. So it's at Ben Rabido. He does a great job. It's northcove.net is his website where he shares a lot of great economic uh, data and, and, and that kind of stuff. But he shared that not it's not just Americans that have a lot of money saved up ready to spend, that can, Canadians have an increase of $90 billion in checking accounts. $90 billion sitting in checking accounts. So Nick, to your point on leisure items and stuff, when our economy ever opens again, so in probably 2025 or 2029, when our economy opens, that was my, I was trying to make a funny joke, dude. You didn't even react. When our economy opens up, you, when, yeah. you're, you, when our economy opens up again, I don't want to talk when, about when, this. When, uh, there's the a subject. lot of money on the sidelines to go and spend. You were, you're, you're Googling something up here. You didn't, my, dude, when I say a joke, I know it's funny. I don't need you to laugh. I'm disappointed that you missed the humor. These COVID lockdowns aren't a joke. We don't, I, yeah. don't, la I don't laugh don't So anyway, anymore. there's $90 billion on the sidelines in Canada. So that's another clue to us. Like, holy crap, is there really going to be um, but, uh, be, uh, be some inflation. And then the bank of Canada was buying $4 billion of worth of bonds every week. They recently just announced they're going to stop this nonsense, but they were buying $4 billion a week of bonds. So, but did they announce they're going to stop? Or I'm pretty sure. Yes. Tone it down a little bit, but they're still going or something. No, they, I'm pretty sure. They was stopped. it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I forgot. Um, but I mean, doesn't mean they haven't picked back tomorrow. They can't start, start buying bonds again. Um, maybe they've just reduced it greatly. But the last thing I, I, I saw, I thought they were going to stop it. Um, but, but my point was they're buying $4 billion a week, 4 billion a week. If they kept up that pace, they would own half of the bond market here in Canada by the end of this year. Like it was something just astonishing. Yeah, it was in in the first uh, you know however many weeks of the response, it was more than the whole two thousand eight financial crisis that they, that they bought. It was just and and when I say how many however many weeks, it, it was like the first month I think some something like that. We were looking at the numbers last year. I remember them all. I'm trying to remember them from last year, but it is crazy. So this is the kind of stuff where is they okay now Canada we're peeling back our you know our uh, our buying from our Bank of Canada now the bond market in Canada rates have ticked up fixed rates are going up how long are they going to allow that to happen is the Bank of Canada going to come in in a more meaningful way to not allow rates to go up further because with the kinds of deficits that we're talking and the budget will be coming out shortly how are they going to finance all this kind of stuff. The U.S. is all already spending an incredible amount on interest. We've talked about over the years that interest rates can't go up like three or five or six percent in any meaningful way. The interest costs would just take the whole uh, the whole tax revenues of the entire U.S. federal government. So how how much do they let rates go up? And that brings us back to the point of like, does the real estate market just continue? So it's just a fast like it's completely fascinating time. Um, I'm not going to get it, Nick. There's, there's something I just want everyone to know is that our current system, when, whenever you're talking to friends and family, if you do talk about this stuff with friends and family, the current money system is called the petrodollar system. So whenever you hear about our money system right now, our money system exists because the U.S. made a pretty sweet deal with Saudi Arabia for Saudi Arabia to sell its oil exclusively in dollars. In return for that, the U.S., gets demand for dollars, becomes the world's, maintains its status as the world's reserve uh, currency after 1971 and the gold window is temporarily closed, which is still closed. Um, they maintain that and Saudi Arabia gets protection from the U.S. and the U.S. has the biggest military in the world and keeps investing money in the military and that's the whole system. So in a nutshell, that's, what's, that's the system that we operate in today, the petrodollar system. And that's the system that looks like it's breaking apart in front of our eyes and we don't know how long it has. But that, that's the thing. If you want to study this stuff, it's, you want to look into the petrodollar system. That's the current money system. 
Um, and then there's just kind of some other things we've been looking at over the last few months is that when, when crap hit the fan last March, so just over a year ago, the, the entire market did sell off. Not only did they, they didn't want U.S. Treasuries, which are like the, you know, quote unquote, the safest, safest asset class. They sold them off and, and ran to cash and interest rates spiked temporarily. And the Fed went in aggressively and the Fed went in with a trillion dollars of purchases in three weeks last March. A trillion dollars in three weeks because everybody ran to cash. My question to everybody listening to this is when people lose faith in the cash because of inflation, where does everyone run? That's why we talk about gold and that's why more and more we've been talking about Bitcoin. It's because when people lose faith in that, where do they run next? And that's what Nick and I spend a lot of time thinking about. Like, holy shit. If this petrodollar system is so flaky that when the market tanks, people sell what is considered the safest thing in the world, the U.S. Treasury, and they, they just go to cash, what happens when you don't trust the cash? A lot of things go down, too, because they, people look at it. They need the, they need the capital to pay off debt if they're leveraged, too. Right. So that causes a little bit of amplification of that, because even if in, in that period of time, you know, things like gold or, or even if you look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin crashed. But I mean, it's more volatile. So even you know, things like gold and sometimes people are like, why isn't gold going up right now? Sometimes people need to sell off certain things to be able to pay for it when there's like a deleveraging event like that. So it causes kind of this cyclical effect. But the what I found instructive from that last year is I'm like, they're just never going to let things fall like there if if we look at since 2008 there's been multiple times where, where things have been on shaky ground even before covid if do you remember in the fall of 2019 that the repo overnight repo rates the bank the interbank lending rates they started spiking and, and they had to start injecting money into the into the um you know into the into the markets at that time to kind of solidify the banks and that type of stuff to provide some some liquidity so there was already cracks in the armor before that stuff happened and and they didn't let it fall right so they were injecting money but this is before COVID. so like so they're already again not saying it's going to fall this has happened multiple times and if we look at the last while it's just like are they ever going to let things return to free market driven forces and it looks like the answer is no because now they've gone themselves, they've painted themselves in this corner that if they do it, the impact of it's going to be so large that it's it's extremely detrimental. So I don't. Again, it goes back to like I don't know. Can can do you know what they're gonna do? <laughs> like no one I've talked to knows. You know, and no one knows knows. But but we even had on some of our uh, VIP calls. There was the uh, one of the members who spoke up said that she knew someone at central banks and they're you know she felt like from speaking to her friend that they're just trying to figure it out as they go as well. And we've heard that from multiple different sources as well, that there's, there's no grand plan. plan. It's not like they're like, okay, here, we're on step three of this 10-step plan. We got this figured out. They're on like step X of a plan that they don't know how many steps there is, and they're just literally figuring out which direction to go with each single step. And that's where things are weird. And I feel like they jumped out of the plane with no parachute. Yeah. They're like, holy shit, here we go. But like free market forces, it's normal for things to go up and down. So it's normal for things to get hot and there's exuberance that's created and it kind of overheats and then it comes back down and it kind of usually corrects too far and then it corrects somewhere and then it ends up somewhere in the middle. But 
in this period of time, there's a number of people that you've just never seen anything correct ever because it hasn't happened, but it should happen. Right? It's this weird, weird thing to no, talk no about. No one's allowed to lose ever, Nick. No one's allowed to lose. Yeah, no one can lose. Everyone's hurt. Feelings will be hurt. Hurt. Participation um, trophies for everyone. Everyone. Everybody gets a participation. Do you remember participation? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, and this is what's happening in the world because of all these wonky policies is that if you go to the St. Louis Federal Reserve's website and you, you Google up a sh- the share of total net worth held by the top 1%, you can, always, you can also, on the St. Louis Federal Reserve's website, f- find the share of total net worth held by the 50th to 90th wealth percentile. And if you kind of look at that, you can see, and, or, and sorry, you can also find the bottom 90%, the worth, held, the, the worth held by the bottom 50%. And you can add that together with, you know, the... Uh, the 50th to 90th. So you can kind of lump everybody. You can kind of get everybody together, like the bottom 90 and the top 1%, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. And you can see from the year 2000 that the bottom 90% of, you know, of people's net, or, or sorry, of people in that net worth category, their net worth has fallen from this percentage of the economy. I've done a brutal job of explaining this, but the bottom <laughs> 90% of the total net worth, um, their percentage of all the net worth has fallen from about 38% in the year 2000 to about 30%. So 38 to about 30. So that that's like just over, that's 20 some odd percent, 22% or something like that. It's fallen. The top 1% in the year 2000 was about 26 or so, and now it's 31 or so. So it's gone up about 33%. So the point is that the top 1% or those who own assets, their net worth is increasing. Everybody else, the bottom 90%, it is decreasing. And it's largely because the bottom 90% do not hold assets. And this is just what creates populism in politics. It's what creates a lot of problems. It, It creates politicians who promise all wonderful things to spend more money that they don't have that then makes asset prices go up and then the middle class and poor can't afford yeah. them again. So it, it's just this perpetuation of a cycle that's broken because of a system, the petrodollar system, that is based on a dollar that is nothing, is it's worthless. Losing its value. Losing its value. The, the, uh, I think that's a big point. I think the underlying cause of a lot of problems is is this and it's something that people don't speak about because the government has complete control over it and they're causing it with their or they point to it but they think the solution is more money spending and we'll do more for you because of this this is probably it could be a lack of understanding how how, i I mean to be fair and this i'm not blaming this on anyone and maybe the education system but you know to to understand how this system really works it's not really taught anywhere like you need to go and search it out and you think you kind of might understand how things work um but you know, until you go search out what's really going on, you don't because you're, you're, you're taught that you do at a very high level. And then when you're taught that, you're like, now you know. But you don't really know until you go search it out. And it's, it's, it's really an issue. Like if the last 10 years, it's, it's very easy now to, stay, to state factually that if you have not owned assets in the last 10 years, you fell further behind. And if you did own assets, you were, were kind of propelled further ahead Provided there was other things going on in your life too, you know, if you had income and stuff like that as well. But if, but all other things being equal, if you owned assets, you ended up further ahead. And if you didn't, you fell further behind. And there's no 
signs right now pointing to policy change. And that was, that was largely driven by policy changes and policies put in place. And there's no sign right now saying, looking like those policies or the types of policies are going to change course anytime soon. And I think that's where we're coming from with all this. We're not just like, you know, it's not we're just We're here to tell you everything's going to get worse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stay but, positive, every stay positive out there. <laughs> well, you know what Benjamin Tall says has that line the best. I think we heard it the first yeah. a couple couple years ago, but he still said he said it in an interview recently. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know, Benjamin Tall is the uh, one of the chief economists I think at CIBC, not the chief chief guy, but one of the guys. Um, and he, he he ended this interview, or he said it during the interview, he said, "If you think Toronto's expensive now, just wait." And he said it a couple of years ago and, and people kind of like, you know, they kind of like, oh, that opened their eyes a little bit. And, you know, he's still on the same bandwagon. And I think I kind of have to jump. I'm on that bandwagon, too. I'm still on that bandwagon because I don't see what they can do. Now, I think there's going to be bumps along the road and they're going to have to make changes and it's not going to be a pretty a pretty journey. But but man, until there's some some kind of fiscal restraint, we're headed down this path. The, the Washington Post has this cost of thriving index that they referenced where they said an individual person's income in the US, they now have to work 53 weeks to pay for 52 weeks worth of expenses for a family of four. So if there's one person working for a family of four, they now have to work more than 52 weeks in a year. <laughs> to pay for the year they have to work 53 weeks to pay for 52 weeks of, of living it seems normal i mean it seems no like i know we all know this like we all know everyone's going into debt but when you just say it that way and you see them referencing it and almost like referencing it like yep this is how reality is and it's not a big deal um it's it's kind of shocking there used to be a time when the majority of families had a one there was like one income earner yeah, I mean, our that family was, was like that for a little while. We had we ran into some financial problems in the in the late '80s, but in the early '80s, and 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 the very early '80s, it was our father working with our mom at home, and we were able to pay for what we needed as a family. We weren't going into debt. No, in we fact, our like father a, was able to pay off the family home in in fairly short order before you know we had other financial yeah, troubles. It was like a middle class family. I mean, yeah. our father was a, he was a, just a dry, he was a, he was drywaller. a drywaller. It wasn't. Uh, any you know super high paid job or you know executive lawyer or whatever doctor whatever you want to call it that, that that's and that's and he worked hard he worked six days a week hard one hundred percent but you were able to do that and and get ahead by doing it but now even with that you're not able to get ahead even if you if you if you took the same circumstances the same work ethic now it would be without and, and if you took the same exact steps he wouldn't be able to get to the same spot now. There would have to be other steps taken to to allow for all this debt creation and the different monetary policy now. And and there's something big that's going on. It's, if you look at the size of deficits in Canada and the U.S., if you look at the last ten years, the deficits you know were all pretty big, but in the last couple of years, just as we referenced earlier with the Bank of uh, sorry uh, Canada. Um, going a trillion dollars more into debt just since 2019. There's a that's a structural trend. That's a structural change in deficits where we're not just talking about $30 billion anymore. We're talking about last year, $300 billion. We're talking about this budget probably announcing it's going to be a, I don't know, Nick, what the budget's going to announce, but I, I imagine it's going to be like not that bad because there could be an election coming up and it's probably going to be something like $130 billion or whatever I've been seeing referenced. And that's the not that bad budget deficit here in Canada. So this is a structural change where deficits are getting so big. This is where, this is what we think 
we are we are going to have to expect in our future. And Nick and I, I think both have, both have some positive news on how you can thrive in these environments. But it's it's that kind of structural change which we think you have to be prepared for. Like the U.S. the U.S. Federal Reserve now owns more U.S. Treasuries, so it owns more debt than all the other foreign investors in U.S. Treasuries combined. Like we're we're entering a world where structurally this is our bank of canada would have been to that point if they continued and didn't kind of slow down earlier this year like we're, we're entering no man's land now and the probability of what people like greg foss talk about could there be a credit event the probability of a credit event happening is increasing daily it's not like a day goes by and it's like oh i think things are going to be okay it's no things are looking a little crazier and crazier can they keep the system going for another 10 years maybe yeah maybe 20 years but the thing is, we need to prepare now if we're really going to kind of live life the way we want it. So we're not here. To, when, when we joke and say, hey, things aren't getting better, it's more just we're joking because if you know this is happening, you can prepare yourself, right? You, you, can, you can survive in this kind of stuff. That's why we've been in real estate for so long. It's not because we love real estate. It's because this is one of the ways to get ahead. Yeah, yeah. You got you to be able to adjust it. If you believe this is happening, you got to be able to adjust it, change course to accommodate for it. Otherwise, you... You end up as like the the person with the, with all the assets that we talked about over the last ten years. You 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 fall behind. So one of the things that we always share, I think, with everyone, just so just so if you're listening to this and you are new to us, we always kind of have this three bucket strategy where we're like, okay, listen, you need bucket number one, which is emergency cash to live your daily life and for un- unexpected emergencies. You, yeah. you need access. And when you to- hold it, whatever your bank account you hold it in, you watch the purchasing power diminish every day. <laughs> every day, by. and you cry. And it's but you need You're that like, money to live to cash? buy groceries, to pay your rent or your mortgage. Like you need operating money. So Nick and I have this bucket in our lives where it's like, okay, yeah, we need some of these funky Canadian dollars to operate our lives and pay our taxes. And we run a business. You need to pay taxes and the whole bit. So you need that. We need to pay payroll. We need to pay, pay, pay payroll. <laughs> yes. Until everybody incomes and demands being paid in Bitcoin. And then we need to be acquiring Bitcoin and so that we can pay out in Bitcoin. But that's a whole different story. That's you a different, and your damn Bitcoin. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's hope, Nick. It represents hope. It represents the future and hope. No, I started looking up into the sky as I said that. <laughs> it represents hope. There's, it is hope, Nick. Well, all joking hope. aside, there. I mean, there's a lot of good. The, the idea of having a money that you know that isn't that keeps its value. It's not controlled. Just, let's just say keeps its value. Yeah, that's not controlled by you know third uh, government somewhere, whatever. There are all sorts of good sides to it. So I, I mean, but I, yeah. I just give you a hard time about you know how how much you'll you'll bring it up. <laughs> yeah, I think people have this weird conception about money in that you know in economics you'll hear economists talk about the coincidence of wants that like we could use a barter system. And a barter system would work if every time Nick wanted to buy a new house, you know, or sell his house, every time Nick wanted to sell his house, he also wanted two truckloads of apples because the apple farmer didn't have any other, other intermediary commodity that stored value so that he had to pay you in apples. And because there's not that ideal coincidence of want where it wants, where Nick doesn't want the two truckloads of apples in exchange for his house, I guess it'd be more, it'd be like. 200 truckloads well, of apples whatever, or whatever yeah, yeah. Um, that it, because of that coincidence of wants you need this thing that's uh, money but money in and of itself is not value in the economy the value in the economy is what nick does for in his life and what the apple guy, guy does in his life that's the real economy this thing in the middle that we call money has some characteristics that you want in money that it holds its value it can operate as a medium of exchange it, it can it doesn't lose its value yeah, over but we're time. taught from when we're born that 
everything, the value of everything is associated to the Canadian dollar. Exactly. So don't, but the economy is the thing of value. The, do, the dollar in the middle is just that middle step that's acting as a store of value because of the coincidence of, uh, coincidence of wants can't always be met. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I get it. And that's, I think that's the, the hardest thing sometimes for people to have a, a little bit of a change of thinking sometimes because sometimes you don't value everything in dollars. You just value everything for what that thing is. Right. That, that, that's the difference. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of like you value it for that asset, but you are, it's, it's just, we're just uh, so used to doing it into, into dollars mm -hmm. that it Especially when you get paid in dollars, when yeah. you get paid in dollars, you yeah, think, oh, the dollars, wow. I, I, the, the dollars are the thing in the economy that's well, and worth your, value. And your bills are in dollars from the government. Yeah. But the value in the economy is all the goods and services in the economy. The Canadian dollar is just this middle thing that's serving a need. And when the middle thing is destroyed like you'll hear michael saylor when he talks about bitcoin he'll talk about bitcoin because it's thermodynamically pure or thermodynamically the best store of energy in the world and what he means by that is there's no leaks in the system like if you think of a car braking system the reason it works is because all the all the hoses and stuff are secure don't have any faults in them there's no leaks in the system so when you press the pedal on the on the braking system the, it's going to work but if there was like some holes in the braking system when you went to brake the brake fluid's gonna squeak, uh, squirt out and however brakes work are not gonna work properly. There's a leak in the system. And with the Canadian dollar and the American dollar and all the fiat-based dollars, there's leaks in the system. And the leaks in the system are the government that just injects more dollars into the system. So the store of energy that dollars are supposed to represent, which reflect our time and energy of our lives, is cheated and debased and devalued and morally corrupted because I worked hard for that money that you're paying me. But because the government is injecting more into the system, it doesn't maintain its energy. Whereas Bitcoin is a thermodynamically pure system. The energy of it cannot be altered. There's 21 million Bitcoin. That's it. Protected by more computing horsepower than the humankind has ever seen. So it's a perfect store of energy. Might that change? Yeah, who knows what's 50 years. But right now, it is a perfectly pure store of energy. So if you're going to work and hold your savings in something, you want to hold it in something that holds its energy in the best manner possible. And that's why I'm looking at you like, don't you get it? I'm not even going to comment. Don't you get it? I'm not even going to comment on what you said. Don't you get it? This is amazing. I get it. But, I, but if you take it back to the average person that's not thinking in those terms and looking at it or the, is early exposed to it, they're just like, well, the, the only reason it has value is because people are associating value to it. So the people are calling it a bubble. Well, it's a bubble because people are just associating value to it and it's, be, it's worth nothing. And if all of a sudden people stop associating any value to it, it becomes worthless. Right. Which is true, which is true. But, but I can easily argue against that. But sure. No, of course. Of course. It's a very simplistic argument. Yeah. And there's there's many facets to it. And I don't actually agree with that argument. Right. But what I'm saying is that is the argument. Like the, the argument is right now is because that's where we're, we're, everyone's assigned. Yeah, everyone value thinks it's it. value. So you're putting some value to it. No different. And that applies to any goods that we have, like the chair that I'm sitting on. The only reason that there's some value to it is because there's we're associating value. Some people will say, cause there's a use case, right? You can sit on it and, and it's more comfortable, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I get it, but it doesn't matter because if that's, if those features aren't a value to me, then I don't care about it. So it's only because I associate value to that. 
right? Sure. In a simplistic way. Yeah, but for right. anyone listening, if you ever hear that argument, the argument against that is that humans naturally want things that are scarce. And we've never had something that's digitally scarce that also has characteristics of money that Dean does a great job in his book talking around the points of the saleability of money across space, time, and scales. So humans will naturally gravitate to scarce things that have those characteristics where they're saleable over space, time, and scales. So that when someone says, oh, well, you know, people have just decided Bitcoin's valuable, it's because it perfectly matches the characteristics of what humans will gravitate towards to hold value, things that are scarce and that meet those characteristics. And the first 71 pages of that book, The Bitcoin Standard, is almost mandatory reading, I would say. Because the first 71 pages of that book, which is the first four chapters, walk you through the journey of humankind and where humans have chosen to store their energy and what type of forms of money. And then you come to the realization of you have a bigger, you, you, your context of what you thought money was, was just limited to this petrodollar system. And once your context opens up, you're like, oh my gosh, that's why Bitcoin is what it is yeah. today. And the reason we're into all this stuff is, is not a Bitcoin thing at all. It's just that it's part of this larger picture of what we've been looking at over the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years about this debt-based, petrol dollar-based system, the economy, what's happening, the the, 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 the devaluing of the dollar, the, the debt increase and that type of stuff. And then this piece of the puzzle gets added onto that as well. And we're like, oh, so how does this system that we're in impact this, this piece? What's the potential impact to it? And that's where it came totally. from. It wasn't just like... You know, yeah, go Bitcoin. Like, You're yeah, gonna, yeah. everyone buy Bitcoin. It, it was, was a, it, it fit it was a, a need. Yeah, it was a it's a piece of this. It's a piece of a greater puzzle that we're looking at. No different than the real estate that yep. we're looking at has been a piece of that for much longer from from before we understood of any of this. I mean, we started investing for twenty years ago, and I mean, you know, real estate. Obviously, I'm biased towards real estate because of what it's given me in life. Like it's changed my properties that I. I mean, I still have you one. You got lucky, Nick. Yeah. You got lucky. Yeah. Sorry, man. Jesus you got lucky. Christ, lucky. All, digging that, that all those toilets you hauled out and digging, all that work you did. Yeah, you got digging lucky, those dude. ditches at the lucky. side of the house. Lucky. Um, dealing with um, another, <laughs> dealing with, just for the record, another leaky basement now. I've dealt with more leaky basements than anyone, I think. No, you have. No, you win leaky basement award for sure. But but so just to complete our three-bucket strategy, bucket number one was you need liquid fiat Canadian dollars. Bucket number two is you want your savings, longer term savings that you don't need within whatever your window is, 90 days, six, uh, six months, whatever it is for you. You want to keep in hard money. You know, if that's gold for you, great. Bitcoin has become that for us. Um, and bucket number three, it would be you want productive assets because assets that produce things in the economy are what the real value of the economy is. That is what the economy is, things that produce value. So to us, rental properties and small businesses represent income and cash flow, and that's our bucket number three. You want things that are valuable in the real economy because if you have things that are value in the, valuable in the real economy, it doesn't really matter. I know people, you know, some people will take me to task for this when I say it, but it doesn't really matter what happens to the Canadian dollar. Because your the value you offer as a business or as rental property, you're going to be paid in Bitcoin. You're going to be paid in whatever people are using as that intermediary thing of yeah. exchange. Well, let's say the Canadian dollar went bellies up and we started using the U.S. dollar. Well, if you own five homes, well, then your your wealth is protected because the value of those five homes will just be adjusted into a U.S. dollar or it doesn't matter if it's, um, uh, you know, the IMF special drawing rights or, or whatever you want, gold coins or Bitcoin. Yeah, whatever it is, your value is now if you hold 
the same value of Canadian dollar in a bank account and it goes belly up because we've seen this and, and you know, and, and many saving, people have yeah, seen this. Yeah, your savings. It, it just, it it's changes gone. everything. But like if you have the asset, you win. Yeah, but people don't understand, I think, here because it's hard for me to, I can't, I can only say I understand, but I've never lived it, so I can't truly understand. But when you see the government, when you see the the the, um, the currency falter and just the, all of a sudden it just it goes poof into nothing and you see your life savings evaporate, it gets very re- real very quick. And there's many people all around the world that have had have experienced that and have had to live that and recently as well. And we've been fortunate here that we haven't had to. But it doesn't mean that it can't happen or that we're not seeing some level of that, a very small level compared to those extreme cases in what we're seeing with inflation today. Well, and it's interesting. I was just talking to Sergio, a, a longtime Rockstar Inner Circle member, and he's from Argentina. And he was talking about these are the signs. And I hope I'm not speaking out of context here if Sergio's listening to this. Sergio, give him crap if he is. Yeah. But Sergio was saying, hey, this is exactly the signs that I kind of saw in Argentina where everybody kind of thinks that if you own some things and prices are going up and you see the inflation coming, but if you own some, everyone everyone's getting rich and things are increasing in prices, but you have to prepare yourself. And to us, the best way to be prepared is the three buckets. Have some liquid dollars, have some hard savings, and have some things that are of real value in the economy. Whether that's a business or a rental property, that's that's the real economy is those things, not this thing we call the Canadian dollar. And, and we get asked this a lot, so I'll just go through it, Nick. These are kind of our steps. Like if you're, if you're in your 20s or, or something and you're thinking about like, what are the steps for me to kind of craft out my life and living life on my terms? Here's kind of how we've breaking, broken things out. And it's kind of a series of steps that I'll go through really quickly. But step number one in life for us is you should want some home for yourself. There's a lot of people who argue about renting or buying and why don't you just rent and put your money to other income investing. I think there's a certain peace of mind when you own your own home and you don't need some mansion somewhere, but just something small for yourself, for you and your family that you outright own. There is a peace of mind that comes from that that is unmatchable. Knowing that you can go somewhere to sleep and no one can take that from you as long as you're paying your property taxes, um, that you're going to feel good about that. So a, a lot of people might not agree with us on that, but that's a really important thing. And then step two after that, then you should build on skills that the marketplace is going to reward. So look at trends in the economy. And step three would be then starting your savings process. And then after you've invest, after you accumulate some savings, if you yourself are not building something in the economy, buy a rental property, start your own business, invest kind of your skills into doing that. And then you can take cash flow from from whatever you have from rental properties or business that you have and really double down and invest it into some new business that you're going to, another second business that you're going to start or really ramp up some of your Bitcoin savings and that kind of thing. But you don't want to neglect building your own skills building skills in the economy by watching what's trending in the economy and building skills in that area give you freedom. So whether it's generic skills like sales and marketing skills or very specific software engineering skills in the crypto space for what you know whatever oh, it doesn't matter if you're if you're a, a carpenter or a framer whatever like yeah exactly yeah. you know so it could be general skills or specific skills but you need skills that the marketplace is going going to reward. Um so that's kind of just, that's a really high level stuff, but just some thinking in, in, in how you might tackle creating life and living it on your own terms. But that's it. We wanted to leave you with the three buckets, you know, cash, hard savings, and have some real things that produce value in the real economy. And with that kind of strategy, that's what we're doing ourselves. 
So I guess we, that's why we wanted to leave it with you. It's, it seems to be working out. We're, we're kind of happy with the way things are going and that's what we're doing for ourselves and we'll continue to. And Bitcoin today hit an all-time high, Nick. And an all-new all-time <laughs> high today. So I just want to end on that. Yeah. Real estate prices are going up another What did I say last time? Well, last time we were on an interview and someone asked me that like, about uh, real Bitcoin. estate. No, oh. Bitcoin. I was like, oh, undecided. Yeah. yeah. I'll still say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. undecided. Yeah, is that your... Yeah, I wonder my, my statement is... I don't know I, if I'm I've been to... telling some friends I have enough confidence in it for all of us. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were saying, are you sure about this yeah. thing? I'm going to be undecided. It doesn't matter. We could be 10 years down the road and it could be like taking over everything and I'll still yeah. say undecided just because now I, I, I've, I've put my stake in the ground and now I can't move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, and you know what? Listen, if you're listening to this and you hear me say I have confidence for all the... Do your research. Do your own research. Buy the Bitcoin Standard. Buy Jesse Berger's book. You know, it, magic internet money, a book about Bitcoin. Yeah. Go do a well, deep you dive do, yourself and, on this kind of and stuff. And in real estate, do your own yeah, deep absolutely. dive and stuff. I mean, we're still buying properties. People ask us, I forget, they're like, well, are you guys still buying properties? I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, we bought property last year. Like, Last still, year we last closed year commercial and residential. Yeah, commercial at the worst possible yeah, time. Yeah, worst possible right? time. Right before COVID. Yeah, so, yeah. But it's worked out well because uh, this office has been great. Everyone, it's, it's been a lot of fun too. It's given us a good, good environment. But yeah, still actively looking. I think there's another one closing this year, Actually, for me, I have to check at the closing date. But yeah, there's other things going on. So yeah, we're actively... Yeah, that's actively, right. I totally forgot about that. Actively implementing all three of these. Actually, a couple properties this year. Um, but anyways, yeah, actively pro uh, implementing all three of these currently. So cool. That's it. Hopefully you took something away from that. Hey, everyone. So hopefully you enjoyed that particular chat. If you want to get more information from us on the real estate market, you can visit rockstarinnercircle.com to grab free copies of our books, reports, sign up for our classes. It's all there at rockstarinnercircle.com or get the app for your phone at ylytapp.com. That's ylytapp.com. That's it. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>